This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful-looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. Experience is one of those terms that's been heavily used and sometimes abused these days as companies in the digital signage ecosystem talk about what they can do for end-user customers. Everything, it seems, is somehow experiential or immersive these days. But what does that really mean and how does it manifest itself in projects that use display technology? I had a really good chat with Chad Hudson, who very much qualifies as an experienced design expert and has the project portfolio behind him to back that up. He ran a well-respected agency in Chicago called Leviathan, stuck around for a few years after it was acquired, but this past year hooked up with a company that would have been a competitor in the past, Dimensional Innovations, or DI. He's now DI's Chief Strategy Officer and spends his time working with the DI team and with customers, working a process to understand needs and then develop solutions that deliver on those needs and realize an experience that can be everything from simple to elaborate. Chad, thank you for joining me. Can you give me a rundown on what Dimensional Innovations is all about and what your role is there? Yeah, you bet. We'll call it DI for short. I'll make it easier for both of us. Uh, DI is um, is an experienced design and build firm uh, based in, in the U.S., down in Kansas City. And they are um, really robust at not only designing and building the physical experiences, uh, all the fixtures that can be built out with wood shop, metal shop, paint, um, a giant two-story high 3D printer, which is pretty amazing, we also mm. use. But also on the digital side, uh, we have deep roots in technology, both in um, being able to figure out what's the right technology for the experience and then creating the content and the interaction that goes within those experiences as well. So I'm uh, the new chief strategy officer. It's a new role at DI. I started about eight months ago with the organization and that role just organically evolved. Um, They were kind enough to say, you're making a positive impact and we'd like for you to do a bit more. So um, yeah, it's good stuff so far. So it sounds like you kind of bridge, the uh, the company bridges a few things. There's some traditional integration AV integration sides to the business or some elements of like a creative technology agency, but there's also like a fixture and fabrication kind of company as well. So you're into a whole bunch of things. Yeah, that's a pretty good encapsulation. And there's a team of about 300 people, so um, they're, they're not messing around. Mm-hmm. And, and you're up in Chicago, right? That's correct. I'm in Chicago. Uh, when when I sleep at home, I travel around quite a bit, both down in Kansas City and, and wherever wherever the clients are as well. Right. And Kansas City is what, like an eight-hour drive, something like that? From Chicago? Oh, that's not too bad. I think uh, like maybe six and a half. Oh, okay. Uh, so. but, but always flying, though. Always yeah. Always in the air. <laughs> 
you don't want to drive in uh, the middle of the winter in that? <laughs> no, no. Fly, flying in the middle of winter is uh, already a challenge enough. So people are going to wonder, uh, people who know you, that uh, you came from a company that you founded called Leviathan in Chicago, much more of, a, I would say, a creative technology shop, at least that's the term I use. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, as somebody who founded that company, what compelled you to leave? Yeah, that was a that was an existential issue, I guess you could say. Uh, just trying to debate with myself what what can I do in the future. Yeah, so Leviathan was uh, it still is a, a great shop, although it's going by a different name. Um, my partners and I sold it to another digital agency called Envoy mm-hmm. back in I think 2017, and I was happy to stick around for a while. I think um, close to five years that it, I I decided to to stay put and continue to run the organization. But um, I'd say where Leviathan was just all about that hybrid of digital and physical experience, Envoy as a larger group, um, they are versed in everything from e-commerce to branding. And um, I don't know, it just kind of felt like what I love was maybe not as front and center as was what Leviathan did. So yeah, there was certainly no bad blood whatsoever. Um, yeah. It was good to, to stick around and see it through a lot of great accomplishments accomplishments there. But um, DI was um, always in my uh, side view and they were um, always staying in touch and said, we'd love to talk about what what the future could be. So um, at some point, the the stars aligned and that's why I went over to DI. Well, that's a a decent run anyways to, you know, when a founder sticks around that they might stick around for a year or something. So three to five years is pretty good. (laughs) I agree. I agree. And, And the cool thing about DI is, uh, it, I don't know, for me personally, it filled that missing gap because uh, whenever we were contacted about a, a digital experience, uh, it could be like a lobby or experience for, for a theme park, it was always just limited to that digital scope and mm-hmm. it was later in the conversation. So with DI, uh, because they are involved in the entire experience from even very, very early days of what is, what is the purpose of this space and what can it serve uh, who's going to be there? What kind of experience do we want them to have, digital and analog? So um, that's really the reason why I, I went over there. And I really, really love it over there. Yeah, I wanted to get into that. It, what, what What is the whole process involved when you engage with a new customer? Uh, when I have done consulting in the past, the first thing I say to a new client or you know, even just in the early stages when we're having our first conversation is, okay, why? Why are, Why do you want to even be talking and looking at digital? And I, I suspect these days when people start talking about, well, we want something experiential designed into our new space, uh, experiential is such a huge catch-all and somewhat abused term that it, you really have to have a, enforce some kind of a discipline to figure out you know, what's going to work here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, the process is really, I don't want to say it's not much different than any other firms, but we're, we're very curious people. And so we, we want to ask our clients, what you know, what do you envision for the space? Who is going to be there? Uh, what kind of assets do you already have from a content perspective? What's your technology infrastructure for the rest of the space? We don't want to build something that's just in a bubble from a, uh, from a tech and IT standpoint. So really getting the lay of the land and asking uh, a ton of questions, not just 
uh, logistic or, or technology wise, but more just thematic and um, just really trying to figure out what what they know and more importantly, what they don't know so we can help discover what that is. So thinking about that space, we want it to have the right purpose, the right functionality. So then we get into high level ideas of what it could be more like rough sketches uh, along with um, even rough buckets of what budget could look like for those experiences. And they may say that that's perfect or, ooh, that's a bit rich for us. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we, we start to refine those ideas and also refine the pricing and what the technology solutions might be, uh, what the narratives might be from a visual and um, oral content standpoint. And then we start building it and we never leave our clients high and dry. We After we build, we always like to... Um, be involved when we can in content refreshes in in support of that experience and um, yeah hopefully continue those relationships for for years to come i mean there's a there's a business reason why you want to stick with the customer and, and do the content refreshes and so on but i i suspect some of that is just simply that you you want to stick with it because it's your you know, it's your team's baby so to speak and you kind of have a you're you're uh what's the term and not engaged in it but you're involved in it that's true enrolled that's right and since 16 by 9 is uh you know has a a touch of snark to it i'll say that (laughs) some of those children we definitely want to we would definitely want to keep those children the 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 good children for those who are grown up and ready to leave the nest we 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 welcome them leaving the nest so we, Mm -hmm. we do try to nurture the the right relationships in the right ways though when you're engaging with new customers, I'm curious how often they really know what they want to do. That is a great question because, I, what's a nice way of saying this? You know what, when we speak with clients, we know that they they know their brand better than anyone else. We, we mm-hmm. can't come into that conversation with the assumption that we, we know them inside and out. That's absolutely not true. But from a guest or user experience standpoint, I feel like we, we can balance out what they know about themselves. And uh, for example, sometimes the, the conversation leads with technology. Oh, we absolutely want to use VR here, or we want an immersive experience. And we, much as we get excited about all those conversations, we also have to say, why do you think you need that? Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that that is the right solution um, from a narrative or, or technology standpoint. So um, that's, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, I, I, I was curious how often you have customers who are saying, yeah, we, we want a big LED video wall in the lobby or we, we want this particular type of technology and they, they're just thinking in terms of wow factor as opposed to what this will actually do. Oh, every... Every time. And I'll also pick on architects a little bit. I think that some of the larger architecture firms are definitely getting better. They have their own experience design yeah, teams. Like the Genslers and so on. They've got exactly. people who do know that stuff now. Exactly. But but otherwise, yeah, sometimes the depending on who's making the decisions, it is it's just truly based in um, grandeur. So having the, the largest screen. Well, I went to our competitor's lobby and they had a giant screen i want one to be bigger so sometimes it can it can be down to that but i think what what is thought of just so little is content strategy meaning mm-hmm. um some some folks think about content what can we put on the screen but it's, okay that's 
great. Now what's going to be there tomorrow and the next day? And that can become uh, prohibitively expensive if it's not thought of the the right way and uh, how to get the right content there. Some of it can be big and beautiful. Uh, I know that what um, used to be Obscura Digital and now they're, um, I think they've been folded into another organization. But uh, people talk about the Salesforce lobby for, mm-hmm. um, and still talk about it even now. And it is a you know beautiful experience, but it is that exact same experience over and over and over again. So how can that be? How can that be more dynamic? You know, we have those ooh-ah moments, but we need something else to, to fill the space and not just be uh, a pretty screensaver. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen some projects and the, the narrative is describing the projects after they've been lit up, where they're talking about how this changes the whole experience of travel or whatever it may be in a, in a rail, rail station or an airport. Yes. And, uh, you know, a vast screen or a set of screens with all this uh, very expensive content and so on. And I'm thinking if I'm a traveler, what I what would be a great experience for me is something that says track 14 is this way. <laughs> yes. You know, that, that's what really matters to me, not, you know, being upli- uplifted by this uh, amazing content and all that. Just show me where the hell the train is. <laughs> yeah, it, it has to be practical as well as transformative, I feel like. I mean, people want to, if they're traveling, yes, let's get them excited about their destinations. Let's give them a moment of surprise and delight. But but hell, let's let's be practical about it too and, and use elements of, of wayfinding. So um, yeah, not, not everything has to be wow and flutter and fluff on, on these large screens. And it, I, I suspect it's it's difficult at times to convey to the client that guys there's there's a technology investment here and so on but you have to keep this refreshed and you know you you can't just have your quarter million dollar uh data visualization piece from you know some artist and just run on that run that thing forever (laughs) Uh, you're exactly right i I think i might know the uh data visualization artist you might be speaking of who, whose work I do love. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, anytime if, if a client's investing upwards of like half a million or a million or more on a display and they're not thinking they automatically assume, Oh, I need twenty five, fifty thousand $50,000 for a video, or I'll just use stock footage. And that is talk about a, a, a bad investment. There's so much more you can do. Uh, and mm-hmm. the reason why you have a screen in the first place is to show content. It's not to, it's not just to have a, um, um, a static piece of wall art hanging up. Is it now a case when your team, you and your team, uh, as chief strategy officer, I'm sure if there's a whale client, they, they pull you into it. You mentioned you're traveling a lot, so that's probably why. Uh, do, do you immediately start thinking about how digital fits in here, or do you try to kind of park that and listen to the client and, and then think, well, you know, digital would be good here, but maybe not. Oh, great question. Uh, certainly from my previous roots, uh, thinking through a digital lens is, um, it's, it's been instinctual somewhat, but, mm-hmm. but since going to DI, it is, um, I think it's definitely starting with more of the, the basics and leaving digital and analog out of it. It's, it's more about uh, fact finding and um, learning more about who they are and what they want to accomplish. And then the solutions fall from that. So that's been uh, actually a welcome shift that not everything has to be um, tech savvy, but I'm a, I'm a techie at heart. I can still remember coding on a, a Radio Shack color computer uh, using basic way back in the 
in the eighties. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm a geek and I like technology. So it's front and center of my mind a lot of times. When you think in terms of experience design, how do you define experience? I realize that's a big question. Yeah, that is. Um, so not not intended as a shameless plug, but the thing about DI is they work across not only pro and collegiate sports organizations, but also um, large brands, um, museums, retail, um, entertainment, so theme parks and such, transit. Mm-hmm. So so experience is is different across all those, but I think consistently people want to, they want the experience to be intuitive. Uh, they want it to be, um, well, I guess some brands don't have a, a clean brand, but in our in our opinions, we want, want the environment to be clean and welcoming and not intimidating. Perhaps if you're going through um, a frightening exhibit at a at a Disney park. Maybe we do want that to be more thematic and, and scary. But um, I mean, the good experience just makes you makes you feel something. And I know that when uh, p- some people might roll their eyes and go, "Oh my gosh!" If we're walking through a uh, a company's headquarters, do they really want their guests to feel something? And I, I would argue, yes. You want them to um, whether it's you want someone to buy something, uh, let's mm-hmm. be shallow, um, and or um, want them to to have moments of surprise and delight. Even in a museum, you want them to learn. That's mm-hmm. that learn and, and take that that piece of information with you. So I mean, the experience, I think initially, if you don't, no matter what you do or how pretty it is, if you don't feel something, you're not going to remember that experience. And I think that's ultimately what what these destinations are about. You want you want folks to remember it, remember you as an organization or uh, tell your friends about the, the amazing experience you had. So I would say that that is really front and center is the, the emotional component. But but the emotion isn't necessarily wow or or being bowled over by the the scale of a screen or the uh, you know the the three D anamorphic illusion on on <laughs> a screen or whatever. It can it can be as simple as. I'm, I'm feeling calmer about being in here because now I know where I'm going or uh, I, I feel better about the meeting I'm about to have with this company because I'm, I'm seeing the company's history on this video wall that ex- is explaining everything that they do. And I'm thinking, holy shit, this is a, you know, these guys are amazing. Oh, 100% Dave. Yeah, we, I think I'd say there's a sliding scale of what you want people to feel and wow, isn't always, we don't always crank that to 11. I, I mm-hmm. think really, um, you you might need certain degrees of it, like a, a moment of surprise and delight uh, in a uh, customer's uh, customer sales center or in a museum. Like, oh wow, I wasn't expecting that, and that that's nice. But it, not everything has to be wow and and gigantic and expensive. It's um, mm-hmm. it, it's adjustable depending on what what we need people to to take away from that experience. Yeah, I just wrote about a, a project the other day that was in a residential lobby of a building in Boston, and it was a pretty small uh, kind of corner-wrapped LED that was you know only like 10 feet square or something. And I was thinking, okay, that, that makes sense in that kind of setting. That it, It's not enough where the residents are thinking, well, now I understand why my condo fees are so high or whatever, but it's, <laughs> but it's just something that, uh, you know, helps kind of give the, give, give the lobby a bit of a lift, but also has information on there that's useful. Yeah. But 
isn't that the beauty of 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 um, display technology it is it is dynamic so it can be so many different things um, sometimes it could be too many things and so we want to pick the right bits to, to have in that space but uh, it's dynamic and it can be evergreen mm-hmm what about budgets? Uh, I, I imagine, as you were saying in your kind of project scoping and everything, that you're trying to get a sense of what uh, their budget uh, restrictions are, uh, whether they're bottomless or, or tight. And is it possible to deliver on experience on a, on a pretty modest budget? Yes, I would say so. Um, you know, there, there are some some simple tips and tricks, I suppose, that, that can be used. Oh, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I would say that if, much like with an artist of, of any sort or any kind of designer, sometimes uh, working with constraints uh, yields some of the best results, whether that's uh, out of time, you're out of money, and you just really have to become inventive on how to make that make that work out. So uh, if, if any clients are listening, I would never want to encourage purposely limiting the budget just to see mm-hmm. if what kind of brilliance can come from that. But yeah, I've certainly have seen some some very impactful experiences that don't necessarily um, cost a ton. It's but I think it's you can be inventive in how you use those lower cost solutions and make right. it effective. Um, I, I think about the analogy of of the giant lobby screen instead of having one giant screen can we break that up into different sections and pieces so it has uh, an interesting footprint and one minute we have content on individual screens and the next we have this larger canvas that is you know even though it's broken up into pieces everything works in concert with each other so uh, value engineering is that uh, is that mother of invention sometimes yeah i'm thinking of uh, there, there's a project in denver at uh, a wells fargo uh, office tower where there was obviously some nod to budget limitations where they did the, these five or six vertical slats that made it kind of look like you're seeing, you're seeing out through fence slats. And that was a yes. way to have like big led strips that wouldn't cost the same kind of money. And they were, they didn't have to be particularly high res cause you were seeing them at a distance, but that was a way to create visual impact, but not, you know, <laughs> Have something that's like uh, the the scoreboard at uh, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Yes, I think I know exactly the one you're talking about. They're they're really tall and narrow yeah. as well, but uh, yeah, they certainly impactful. Also, I would agree. For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data. Create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at screenfeed.com. Do you now also have products that uh, DI does? I was looking on the website and it it kind of said like you had some packaged products as opposed to everything just being custom to the the client. Yeah, yeah. Good good eye there, Dave. So there are some projects that we have developed 
and clients say, oh, we really like what you did for, for this client. Uh, could you do something similar? So after doing that a number of times, we just realized we can take some of the best parts of, um, of some of these projects and not necessarily repurpose them, but I mean, clients oftentimes are saying our budget is limited. What can we mm-hmm. do? Can you repurpose this? So, so that is that is in essence what we have have done with um, a few different things. There's sort of something we'll call the coloring wall, which essentially uses gesture sensing technology to let people, um, oftentimes kids, um, let's have a low touch, very simple and intuitive experience where they can stand mm-hmm. in front of a, what looks like a, a giant coloring book page. It's just a white page with black outlines and wave our arms or run past it and it fills in the color in a, a very painterly fashion. So um, once we figured out, well, this doesn't necessarily have to be, we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Let's mm-hmm. let's take some of these ideas and repurpose them so uh, we can do them, uh, we can replicate them and we always improve upon them, I think, every time we, we do that. And you can also reduce some of the cost too because you've kind of already written in everything, right? Exactly. I mean. I guess we could say we're trying to be benevolent and generous to clients, but <laughs> we're also trying to make money off of uh, what we have, what IP we have created in the past. Is it a mistake with, with things like gesture that you're describing with kids? Like kids are naturals to interact with those sorts of things and have fun and all that. But I've, I've seen a number of cases where that, that same sort of gesture technology is designed for brand advertising or experiential uh, mm-hmm. activation, so to speak. And I've, I've wondered, do these really work with adults? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I remember when the Connect first came out, I think that mm-hmm. was like around 2011 or so. We, um, my team at the previous firm were actually hacking it before there was even a, an SDK or software developer kit available. And I think we were all just amazed by it and assumed this was going to transform how everyone interacts. But what we figured out along the way, and I know the, the DI team has this figured out also, is that there, there's no international language, if you will, for, for gestures. I mean, you can, mm-hmm. you can wave and say hello. You, can, uh, you could flip a bird, I guess, if you're really upset. You can, <laughs> um, you can uh, use like right turn or left turn. But I think that with, with these sorts of gestures, and particularly with adults, they're, they're not going to wave their arms around like a crazy person. I, I can't imagine many CEOs mm. doing that willingly. So I think we've had we've figured out that we have to keep those gestures very simple. It's more about stand in this place and it will trigger content. Right. Or um, as I mentioned, with kids, they can run and be silly and that can fill that coloring book page very easily. But sure. for the rest... Um, yeah, it has to be super intuitive. If you are having someone raise their right hand or raise their left hand to advance a uh, an icon or a cursor, then um, those instructions have to be given in I don't know fifteen seconds or less, and 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 have it figured out instantly. It, it's been my experience that with experience design that the 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 ones that really work are those where the architect or person who designs the space, the physical look of a space is involved early so that the, the screen technology doesn't look like it was added on. It, it's built in it, Like it's, it's part of the original design is, is, is that a fair assessment? 
Oh, so fair. Otherwise, it's just um, just another giant rectangle sitting in a lobby that I mean, it, it it stands out, but more like a sore thumb than it does something that's integrated into the architecture. So I I'm a big fan of of all the involved parties talking mm-hmm. as early as possible. So um, an architect's thinking well, we can integrate a screen here, but speak to the technology partner and think about what what's the right pixel pitch. Let's um, viewing angles could be an issue or ambient light. So I, I feel like the more the more that all the right people can talk early on, uh, it can be beautifully integrated and it can be the right technology and and the right content. And that's one of the ways you can reduce the cost, right? Because if, if you really think about it, then you can use like LED ribbon strips instead of a giant rectangle that you were describing to kind of have the same kind of impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and getting creative with almost a sculptural version of a display. Uh, I think about, uh, I know a lot of people in, in our industry talked about the beautiful work for the AT&T Discovery District and there mm-hmm. were many groups that touched that, but there is a, a sculpture that was fashioned after the AT&T logo that's in that space. And it's, um, it's also has embedded uh, LED ribbons, similar to what you described. And yeah, it makes for, for an interesting experience and that, that brand touch is, is subtle. So you know, kudos to that team for creating a, a pretty cool experience. Yeah, it's kind of a like a halo sort of tunnel thing. Yeah, that's the one. Okay, yeah, that is nice. Uh, with LED uh, rapidly emerging and evolving, is that kind of the main go-to thing now for DI when you're thinking about digital, or are you still looking at OLED and LCD and other technologies? Yeah, yeah. Direct view LED is in almost every conversation. I feel like just because um, it, it is a great technology. Uh, the, this is not a slam on the AV industry because I know technology can only advance as fast as it's able to, and the supply chain mm-hmm. is an issue. The, the pandemic was an issue. Uh, so I feel like not that tech is has stalled. It's not the case at all. But I feel like advancement has slowed a little bit. So um, definitely. LED ribbons, direct view LED, um, some things that we've been playing with more recently. There's a, it's more of a smaller format now, but I'm sure that the the size is growing. Actually, I'm, I'm certain I've seen some larger versions of it, but uh, displays like the Looking Glass Factories uh, yeah. display look, looks semi-holographic. Um, mm-hmm. You can use other gesture sensors for that. So it's that is a, more of a one-to-one experience versus a, a giant shared experience, but excited about that. Um, even outside of display technology, seeing what is being done with AI and, and creating visuals, there are mm-hmm. platforms like Dolly and Midjourney, where you can yeah. simply type in a prompt and boom, um, multiple versions of um, what the computer thinks is the right image for you. Um, and I think that's also starting to step into video creation as well. So it's mostly static, but I've seen some some early images of a video. So. Um, yeah, I think that talk about being able to have dynamic content. I mean, data visualization is one thing, but you know, constantly having um, even photorealistic or having what looks to be an artist's creation being done on the fly is pretty amazing. Yeah, my my son is heavily into uh, all that stuff and Dolly, and he was he was just you know asking me to give me a prompt, and I gave him some you know crazy prompt like squirrels playing croquet or something and 30 seconds later there it was it's, it's yes. nuts i'm 
Yeah, I'm going to try that. Squirrels playing croquet, wearing pink tutus <laughs> in a desert. And yeah, I bet I bet it'll give me exactly what, what we want. Yeah, and God knows why, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Is, is, is the um, kind of flexibility that we're seeing now with LED important in that you, you, you act, actually have physically flexible modules, but you also have ribbons and you, you have... LED on film, LED embedded in uh, building glass and so on. Do, th do those open up new opportunities? Absolutely, they do, Dave. Uh, but if anything, the, the first question is, can we do it? And we get excited, and then it's a matter of pricing and availability. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that, that's sometimes the, oh, because it's, it is so new, and um, or, or brightness could be a factor. Or the glass has already been specked out and it's a matter of, like, oh, could we retrofit it? And it's just not as feasible. But uh, now that we now that we know those technologies are available, um, at least for, for future endeavors, we are absolutely thinking about that as often as we can. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of a gear lust, but uh, also it's just, it could be the right solution for, mm -hmm. for a space. Um, clients sometimes say, at least from uh, from a large scale perspective, that yeah, we don't want anything that's going to obstruct views or have, um, you can see wires or pieces or parts of the technology. And um, sometimes that, that's unavoidable, but I think if we can have the, the slimmer format of some of these ribbons or uh, mm -hmm. the embedded LED uh, into glass, that, that solves some of that. So we're really excited about the future of those. Is there a particular lesson that you've learned through the years that you kind of apply to a lot of work now? Hmm. Honestly, it really is more about, if we're talking about an experience that does have a, a digital component, um, it, it is really pretty much what you and I have been harping on a lot uh, in this conversation, which is just bringing the, the topic of content uh, up front. Uh, before mm -hmm. before decisions are being made about technology, I'm I'm a huge supporter of of the AV industry, and that beautiful content can't be as uh, awe inspiring sometimes if it's not on the right kind of display or the right scale either. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I'm thankful for the integrators and and other technology folks that I know that always ask the first question of, yes, you want to display, but but why? And yeah. what would go on in the display? And why do you want that? And yes, we're an AV integrator, but you need to have conversations with, with the architect or your, or your creative agency, whoever it may be, so that it's not falling flat. Because honestly, for, if there's a lesson learned, it's a, folks in the AV industry, they can be blamed if uh, I, I spent a million dollars on this giant lobby screen and it doesn't do shit. And that, that's, that's absolutely not true. If, if the right content solution is, is there and the experience that is intended um, is considered more heavily upfront than everyone looks good in the end. Absolutely. All right, Chad, thank you very much for spending some time with me. That was super interesting. Oh, thanks. It's, it's good to be back on 16.9 and hope to, <laughs> to talk again soon. All right. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 16.9, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 16.9 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 16.9 is not a press release republishing mill like a lot of the stuff out there. 
If something makes it on 16.9, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 16.9 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 16.9, the blog, and the podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house, located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.